All right, so for the last about, I don't know, five or six weeks, I was explaining to you guys that I really wanted to get into this idea of gifts, knowing our gifts, and we talked about really knowing the gospel and knowing our gifts, and before we did that, we sidetracked and we spent about five weeks talking about mission, um, understanding the mission of why we exist, and so um, the tension we have right now is we're in a spot of preparation, and any time of preparation, um, part of it is you're going to get antsy. <laughs> is anyone antsy right now? No? If, if you're doing awesome, then that's awesome. I don't want to discourage you. But I bet a lot of you actually feel antsy. I feel really antsy right now. And I'm excited, but I'm also antsy because I believe we're in a season of preparation for what the Lord is wanting to do. And we talked about being a house of prayer and launching a bunch of house churches. I believe there's... There's an amazing work he's doing, and I'll keep talking about it, and I say, yeah, we're going to do it someday, um, but if you neglect the preparation phase, <laughs> then the launch will be, you know, anyone who's seen like Elon Musk's rockets, you know, it's like he launches these rockets, and they're awesome, but then like half of them always like, they crash, and they have amazing explosions, and they're like, that's okay, we're learning as we go, and um, and I don't want us to, like, launch and crash, you know? It's like Jesus said, count the cost before you go out. And I feel like in our culture, we're really quick to want to do a lot of new things, right? Try new things, get new jobs, buy a new house. We, we like to take risks, but there's always a cost to that. And so I feel like as we're going and as we're expanding what we're doing here and even us expanding who we are, as we start expressing ourselves all over the city in house churches, um, we can't neglect the preparation phase. Does that make sense? So just know that. You know, it's kind of like kids feel before they go off to college, right? They're like, they're antsy. They're ready to go. And then there's like five more years, you know, and there's just, there's stages of life. Right now I have a 13-year-old, you know, and he, he's trying to pretend like he wants to be an adult, <laughs> you know. So we had his first overnighter lock-in the other night and kind of freaked us out, you know. But, uh, but. I'm glad he has another five years because there's some preparation he needs. So what we're going to talk about is really understanding our gifts, how we, who we are, the uniqueness of us. And there's no better place to look at our gifts um, than Ephesians 4. And so I literally want to read all of Ephesians 4 for us today. And then we're going to dive into this and we'll spend the next, you know, probably three or four weeks going into this. It says this, Ephesians 4, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up 
until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. That's an amazing sentence. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you then and insist it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. I mean, there's so much in Ephesians 4, right? You could spend all year on it. But Ephesians, if you've ever studied Ephesians, it's six chapters long. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. And it's broken down in these two chunks, the first three chapters and the last three chapters. The first three chapters are the heavenly vision, you know? And a lot of our prayer times, we're doing Ephesians 1 right now. The great passage in Ephesians 3, it's talking about this heavenly understanding of what Christ has done, who we are, and it really looks at it like we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. I pray the eyes of your heart will be open. Let us know what Jesus has done for us, his grace. Let us know who he's made the church to be, and let, it, let us know his love. And so Ephesians 1 through 3 is this very spiritual, which I guess you could say we'll use in the prayer house, house of prayer, <laughs> okay? It's the heavenly spiritual words of Paul. But then in 4, 5, and 6, it gets super practical, right? And that's what we need. We need spiritual, supernatural, and practical. If you have one without the other, you kind of get unbalanced, right? I mean, I've heard that saying. I don't like the saying, but people say, you know, you can get heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. I don't really like that saying, but I understand what they're saying. They're saying is that you can sometimes get so caught up in the spiritual theories of it that you don't practically apply what God is showing you, right? And so the tension of us is we're a house of prayer, so we need to be caught up in the spiritual realities. And I believe we need to be caught up more and more and more in the spirituality. But then if we don't connect that to practical expressions of it, then we're going to feel more discontent, okay? And that's when we can get weird and off balance. 
is we can stay in the spiritual one. But then there's other people that want to be so practical and natural that they say we got to do all this good, but they don't do it with the heart of understanding who Jesus is spiritually, right? What he's done for you. And so I say all of that because in Ephesians 4, it's the transition to practical. It's the transition to get into, say, you know, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, now I want you to live this out, okay? And so he starts talking about these two ideas. You know, one, actually, I'm not going to write that right now. I have very limited board space. <laughs> but part of what he talks about is gifts, right? He talks about gifts. He talks about all the things we have in unity with each other, right? He says we have unity. He says one body, one church, right? One Lord, one Savior. There's all these things that we have together, okay? We have all this thing together. But then he says, but each of us, there's different gifts. Each of us has uniqueness. So we have unity in so many things, but then we have uniquenesses. Can you see my board? Oh, honey. All right. And so what I found is people, we can get so caught up in our uniquenesses, and we wrestle with that a lot of times. And I believe our uniquenesses can be a source of strength, but it can be a source of pain. It can be a source of success and failure because we know that, yeah, we're the same as people, but we also know we're different. <laughs> and we can get caught in that. I feel like maybe I'm a little weird, or I got this, or I don't have this, right? And our uniquenesses can sometimes separate us and isolate us, but our uniquenesses are meant to be continually bringing us into this place of unity, right, in who we are together. And so today I want to just say, what's the purpose of the gifts? And then how do we practically start applying the gifts? What are the environments we're going to practice the gifts? And then the last thing is, um, I want us to challenge us, how do we make growing in our gifts a priority in doing that? And so... The purpose of the gifts is very simple, okay? I believe there's three purposes for our gifts, okay? First one is to build up others. It's to build up others, right? Our gifts are not for ourselves. But what happens a lot of times in our life is we're growing up to figure out how can we use our gifts to benefit us, right? to get good jobs, to have our self-image, our self-worth. But God gives us gifts, but that's what they are. First of all, they're gifts, but they're also gifts not just for us to receive, but they're gifts for us to share. They're gifts for the body, okay? And this is where the redemptive nature of our gifts need to come into play, is so many times, as Paul was saying earlier in that, is to not just use what we have for our benefit, but we have to use what we have to give and to share and to bless and to build other people up, okay? And so our gifts are meant to build up others. Our gifts are meant to grow us together, okay? Grow us together closer, okay? Our gifts are not meant to divide us. Our gifts are not meant to isolate us. Our gifts are not meant to separate and segment. And so often in the body of Christ, we've taken the gifts and we've kind of created certain positions, or there's whole ministries around people's gifts that are like, oh, I like this guy, or I like that teacher, or I like that prophetic person, or I like, you guys know what I'm saying? And it's all of a sudden the body of Christ is divided all over the place. 
But Paul says there that the purpose of the gifts in Ephesians 4, it says to equip his people for works of service so the body may be built up until we reach unity. (laughs) Unity in the faith, right? Our gifts are meant to bring us into greater levels of unity, greater levels of cohesion, support each other, okay? And this is a tension is as we learn our gifts, we have to be careful not to let our uniquenesses create separate bands of the body of Christ, but we need to build us together, okay? And then the last thing, um, I believe the gifts are, are meant for us to function uniquely, okay? All of us, and I'll say all, we're all meant to function, we all get to play. We all get to participate, okay? And I don't want to sound like the guy up here just telling that to you, but I really believe, this is why I believe a lot of people in the body of Christ are just kind of bored or apathetic, is because they don't see where they fit. They don't see where they function. And the, the church, we haven't necessarily created space or opportunities for all of the gifts to come out, okay? But this is a sign of God. He gave us all gifts, He gave us all gifts so that each part of the body will start functioning. Each part of the body will come alive. And that's my prayer for us, even as the body of Christ, is that all of the gifts will start functioning. And you'll see something in you that you have to offer other people. And we'll see it in you, and we'll bless you, and we'll see the uniquenesses of God's handiwork, okay? Not just one pastor speaking, not just one worship leader, right? But all of the gifts, okay? So that's what the purpose is. It's to build up. And this is the purposes of leaders. This is the purpose of leadership. It's to build up the body. Are you guys with me? Are you guys alive today? Are you tired? Do we need to take a coffee break? Do we need to open the windows? Let's open the windows. All right. So here's why I believe this doesn't happen is because we have to now get into how do we start practicing the gifts? Where do we practice the gifts? Um, and I want to do this thing. I've done this before. I don't think I've done it with you guys. But what are the environments that we learn for our gifts? And so I just want to talk about the different environments that we are in. And I take it from the analogy of a football team because I used to play football. But um, I'm just going to list five different environments, okay? Can you guys see that? Okay. Are you guys with me? Can you see this? If you can't read, come on up front. We have more seats up front. Don't be shy, please. Okay. So these are certain environments we're in. I think about it like a football team, okay? Football teams have about 100 people on them. Um, And then we have offense and defense, okay, 30 to 50. And then you have your skill positions. So in football, you have like your receivers, you got your linemen, you know, you got your running backs. And then I was a quarterback, so there's usually an environment. These are environments of two to five people that are quarterbacks on a team, right? And so this is, there's certain things that one person can do on their own. There's certain things that two to five do together. There's certain things that 10 to 25 do together. Groups of 30 to 50 and groups of 75 plus. And so um, I'll just call this individual. I'll call this your core group, groups of two to five, groups of 10 to 25, I'll just call that our family, 30 to 50, that's kind of a classroom, 
And then 75 plus is kind of a large gathering. All right. So what I believe has happened so often is we confuse the purpose of the different gatherings, okay? Um, so often in the church world, we haven't had a lot of intermediate gatherings, so all we have is like a 75-plus gathering once a week on Sunday, right? And it's a large gathering, and then we go back to our individual lives, and then we go back to our large gathering, and then we go back to our individual lives, right? Um, and I think about this in a football team, like if all we did were things as a whole team together, we wouldn't really be that good, <laughs> Because the purpose of a large gathering is really for inspiration, okay? If you think about the Seahawks, the purpose of Pete Carroll talking to his team is to pump them up. And Pete Carroll's Mr. Positive. I don't know if you've ever seen him. But he pumps them up. They turn on music. And a head coach with a large group, he gives inspiration, right? He, gives, he gets you fired up, okay? Because there's not a lot else you can do with a large gathering of people, you can't interact a lot, right? It's more of a monologue. Even what I just did with you guys and sharing is actually inherently unnatural with the size of group we have, okay? Because if we truly shared with every single person, we'd be here for like 25 hours, right? So a large gathering has to be inspiration functions, okay? That's what it is, okay? But then a group of 30 to 50, that can be instruction, okay? You can do instruction in a classroom environment with 30 to 50, okay? So in large gatherings, you can do general direction. You can do motivation. And you can actually build something in significance, right? What I mean by that is, there's something powerful when you're, where you're with a large group of people that's on the same mission and the same purpose. Do you guys know what I'm saying? I remember even some of the Hope 253 rallies we did a couple years ago. We had like 600 volunteers. And it was awesome to say, hey, guys, we're about to do something pretty impacting in our city. You know? I love doing stuff with small groups, but there is a motivation. And I believe that's why a lot of people are, are big fans of the Seahawks, big fans of the Sounders. They're fans of things that are bigger than themselves. And we all have an inherent desire to be part of that, right? Something bigger for significance. Something bigger for us to feel like there's a, there's a flow, there's a direction, there's motivation, okay? But there's also limitations, okay? The limitations of a large gathering is people can feel marginalized, right? If all you are is part of a large gathering of people, pretty soon you're, you might be pumped up, but there's nothing about you. You feel like, does anyone know who I am? Does anyone see me? What if I left tomorrow? And I believe a lot of people, they start off in this, in the church world, they get excited, they get vision, but then pretty soon they wonder, does people even care if I'm here or not? If I stop showing up, would they even know? Are you guys with me? Okay. So, I mean, we like the big, but if it's just big, it's going to be limiting. Okay. Also, in a big group, there can be conformity. Okay. What I mean by that is the crowd can sway a large group. <laughs> and you can be swayed by that, by a momentum, by a motivation. <laughs> Just stay awake here. I might fall. Um, but you can conform because that's what everyone else is doing. 
And so you're not living by your own conviction. You're living by the flow in the, the, of the crowd, right? And so, and I believe that's why a lot of those multi-level media, not multi-level marketing companies, they do those big rallies, you know, because they're trying to build motivation and to make you realize you're part of it. And I believe that's why um, Lee this last week, he went over to Eastern Washington, was part of um, a ministry with all of different um, Christians from Native American tribes. We're encouraging each other about what Jesus is doing among the Native Americans, right? How awesome was that? He was there for four or five days, and he got to see the inspiration that, God, you're doing something around the world, right? But if we stay in this spot, you will feel left out, and you won't see where your gift fits, okay? There's only one Pete Carroll. There can't be more than one Pete Carroll. So we need smaller environments. And then we go, like, to a classroom, right? A 30 to 50 instruction. So this is good because a lot of this is based by you can learn topics, right? It might be topical. So on our football team, we would study the offense, and we'd have an offensive coordinator, and he would tell us that. And so this is primarily for instruction, right? But the nice thing about a smaller group is you can have question and answer, okay? Right? If anyone knows the taught a classroom, you can ask questions. And also the nice thing is um, it can be a safe environment because, because it's not too small, right? You can have a little safety in numbers, Unless the teacher calls on you, and then it's really awkward. But it's nice, right? Have you ever been in a classroom and someone asks a question, and you're like, yeah, I wanted to ask that. Man, glad they did, <laughs> right? And so that's why I believe that there's certain purposes for a smaller environment, like a classroom. But also, it's instruction, and it's also limited. Usually, it's by topic. Um, and so the key to that is information. You're learning, you know, whatever that information is. But there's also the drawback is it can sometimes become irrelevant. And it also can be impersonal. So if all we do is stay in classrooms, and that's why the old model used to be, you know, you would do large gatherings on Sunday morning, then you might do a Sunday school or something like that, which is good because you're learning, you're getting instruction, right? You're getting maybe Bible knowledge or topical knowledge. But so often it can become irrelevant to life, real life with you and your life and your family, right? Because you're learning something. And I feel like that's why a lot of times even the model of seminary right now is outdated in a lot of capacities because when they, like when a lot of kids go to seminary, they're learning things, but if it doesn't translate into their practical life, they can get a lot of head knowledge and they can get a lot of information, but then it inherently is, isn't necessarily relevant to the practical aspects of their life. Are you guys with me? That's why we need smaller environments as well as bigger. So I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say, hey, don't ever do a big gathering. Don't ever do a classroom. I'm just saying we have to understand there's a purpose for it. Okay? So now we get into groups of 10 to 25. The main point of this is family. And this is where a lot of our house churches will be, is for interaction. Okay? You can do interaction with 10 to 25. It's hard to do a lot of interaction with 30 to 50. And it's really hard to do interaction with 75 plus, but we're doing a good job of it. We're trying our best. But in this, you can care for each other, okay? You can share, you can contribute. You can learn to grow together, right? You can hear what the needs are in this. And I believe this environment of 10 to 25 is a primary place where you're going to grow in your gifts, Why? Because there's opportunities here. 
Are you guys getting that? There's opportunities for you to grow in your gifts here. When there's a group of 10 to 20 people, or let's say 8 to 10, or 8 to 20, there's certain needs, and there's not going to be everyone can fill them. When you have a larger group, hey, who's good at that? There might be one person that's really good at that, and then you think, I can never be good at that. Are you following me? So there's no other environments for you to grow. But in these family dynamics, in smaller groups, in house churches, we're gonna, we can learn to care for each other, share, contribute, and grow in your gifts. Okay? But also, this can be limiting too, because if you just stay as a family forever, it can become insulated, and actually it can kind of be limited. Are you guys following me? So, for example, um, I mean, there's some families that I know that they make it so much about their family. Everything is just about their family, okay? And this is kind of where sometimes cults develop, is when, you know, people, they just stay together, 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 together. And so many churches can say, well, we're a family, and we're interacting, we're caring for each other, but then it's insulated, and, it, and, and it's like, it kind of stinks after a while. <laughs> Does that make sense? A family by itself, without any interaction or any larger connection, can kind of get, I don't even like the word inbred, but it's kind of like that feel, right? It's like, okay, they all know each other, but they know each other really well. <laughs> and then if, you know, but you need this environment. If you don't have this environment, then people will be marginalized. There's nothing here. But it's also limited. You can't do everything in this environment, but you can do a lot, okay? And then you get down here in our core, and I believe with groups of two to five, this is really where impartation happens. With two to five. And I don't know about you, but in your life, you'll probably have a small group of committed close friends. Okay? You can't have a big group of committed close friends. Like my wife has five girls. They're called the P-dubs. It's a name they gave themselves in college, and they still have it. And they can connect with each other, four to five, right? And Jesus, he had his 12 but then he had his three to four. He had his, you know, he had Peter, James, and John. He had these three guys. And you see that even in the life of Paul. He would have Timothy, or he had Barnabas, or he had Silas. And there was, this, there was a smaller group that is really a core group. And I might call this a discipleship group. But it's a group that, because even six to, 10 to 25, you can't really get into everything with each other, can you? But in this group, you can really get in. It's open, right? Openness. There can be confession. There can be accountability. Accountability, okay. Okay. And I believe there can be really blessing. And there also could be specific training. So for example, like two weeks ago, I had me and my, these four other friends that are all pastors, we had an overnight trip. And we do it like once every six months. And we don't really talk about practicals. It's just like life on life. And we got to this place we were at, at seven at night, we made dinner and we talked for six hours straight. We went to bed six hours. We talked again for six hours and we left. And Michelle's like, what'd you do? Well, we talked for 12 hours. Why? Because this was a group of people that I felt completely open to. They just said, how's your life? How's your marriage? How's your family? Blah, blah. You know, we just were open. And there's a blessing and it. That's where I believe that we can find a place when you have core brothers for you brothers and core sisters for you. Like if you have core friends or even in the discipleship relationship, this is really where you can really share and be honest and open. Does that make sense? You can be known, and someone can know you. And this is where I believe a lot of freedom from addictions happens, 
is in core groups of people, right? This is where I believe real specific training can happen. You know, if you meet someone that is a similar to you, this is like the modern-day apprenticeship, right? Where, hey, I can walk with you because they're helping. They're walking with you. It's not a big classroom, but it's actually like a core discipleship component. Are you guys with me? Okay. Now, this is awesome, but also the drawback is it can become cliquish, too. Have you ever been around a group of four or five that, like, they're so passionate about each other and they don't let anyone in, you know? So, but that's why I believe that happens because they're actually getting a huge blessing from really knowing other people. But we have to be careful because that can get very cliquish. And I believe Jesus kind of stopped that with Peter. There was a time where Jesus, he took Peter and James and John, like those three, and he like had this moment of transfiguration. And Peter was like, awesome, let's build tents here. Let's stay here forever. And the next moment, Jesus took them down into the valley and they ran into like some, you know, some demonic people. And it was almost like Jesus was like, Let's not get too comfortable. I love you. I know you love me, but there's a mission, and it goes beyond our little group of people. All right? Then the last thing is there's individual things that you alone can practice. You alone need to have. Okay? And I'm going to say the purpose of this is to be independent. And you might say, well, is it good to be independent? There's some things it's good to be independent on. Okay? You should be able to make decisions on your own apart from anyone else, okay? We each have our own will. We each have our own soul. We each have our own mind. There's certain things that you have to do that no one else can do for you, right? Just you, okay? And in football, there were certain things I had to do. I had to work out. No one else could work out for me. They could teach me the plays. They could motivate me. They could give me all that tools. But if I didn't go spend time in the gym and run and lift weights and throw then I was missing out. I needed to do that. And so as an individual, there are certain disciplines that only you can do. Are you guys with me? Okay. And these would be habits. So prayer, the word, getting in the word, and I really believe obedience. And I'll just put stewardship. Okay, you have a life, you have time, you are responsible for your time. And I would encourage you guys to check this in your own life because so often we let our individual lives and our individual obedience be dictated by the other environments that we're in on a regular basis. And I believe a lot of times, I believe that's why sometimes people say I don't like the church or I don't, because they're viewing the church as a large gathering, but really like there's stuff we have to do in our own life. We have to go spend time with Jesus. Jesus himself had individual habits of prayer. He went alone with the Lord, right? And it was a challenge because all the disciples of crowds and it said he went away. He went away. He went away. He went away. And so there's individual habits of prayer, individual life in Jesus, diving in the word, growing in the word, loving the word, right? Journaling, writing, spending time with Jesus. There's individual habits of discipline. There's individual habits of stewarding your life, okay, that only you can do. Okay, And that's where if we don't do these, then a lot of times when we get into family interaction, our own lack of discipline, our own lack of habits manifest in actually sliming other people. <laughs> do you agree? And we can blame, oh, the environment. Well, that, it might not have been the environment. You just need to do it. <laughs> you need to be filled with the word so you're a blessing to your business. You need to be filled in prayer so you're praying for your family. Are you guys getting that? 
So we have to be careful of knowing what the source is, okay? These aren't the source. These are meant to strengthen the source of you and Jesus, okay, in your individual life. And I believe that'll be the strength of our house church community is the strength of individuals seeking Jesus, coming together with something to share, right? Because <laughs> we're not going to have it where one person's going to just give it all. We, okay, come on, everyone. Are you guys with that? Okay. But the danger of individuals, we can get isolated, okay? I'll just say hermit. We can become hermits, isolated, okay? So yes, there's individual things, but sometimes we can be so individualistic, okay? But I want to share this in terms of gifts, because this is really why I shared all this. Um, I believe there's a lot of people who are maybe in a bigger environment or a smaller environment. They're wondering what gifts they have. And I'm telling you guys, those aren't the environments you're going to learn your gifts. It is not about you taking spiritual gift assessments till you're blue in the face. And it's not about you just praying and asking God to give you gifts. Okay? You have to practice them. You have to give just to what you have. So you have to start giving that with a core group of people. You have to start giving that in a family environment. That's why Paul in Ephesians 4, what does he say? Share with one another. Right? Speak truth to one another. Bless each other. And I believe the Lord designed it that way, where he gives us these gifts. But part of it is we have to be vulnerable with our gifts and start using them in environments. Start practicing them. Are you getting that? Because if we start talking about gifts the next four or five weeks, it can get very individualistic. And there's a lot of people that are waiting for these amazing platforms to be preaching and to teach in large gatherings. And when you see biblically how Jesus lined it up, it always started small to large, okay? His process of affirming elders was, I want to put you in charge of the church, but you got to, take, you got to be in charge of your family. you got to be in charge of your own life. Are you getting that? But a lot of times we want the position and we want the but you got to practice it. And it's going to get messy. And but as we're caring, as we're sharing, okay? But as you do this, all of a sudden, I don't know how it works, but it just sprouts up. <laughs> Your gifts sprout up. And I believe they start sprouting up by you using them. And also they sprout up a lot of times by people identifying them in you. Are you getting that? They're going to see it, even with your friends. Man, you have a gift of that, right? Because when you're in family, your uniquenesses are pretty obvious. <laughs> you know? And we can get frustrated about them or we can celebrate them. But it's powerful if we have small groups of people that are all around the city learning to do this. Your gifts are going to have an environment to grow in. I believe we're going to have many teaching gifts, prophetic gifts, apostolic gifts, gifts of helps, signs of wonders, gifts of you know, serving, gifts of administration. We're going to go into all those things. But I would just say, don't expect it to be a magic wand that happens in an individual time with the Lord or someone's going to recruit you to go start a church somewhere, right? It's going to happen here, okay? It's going to happen in these environments. And so my encouragement to you is, as we go into this, are you willing to kind of throw them out there, okay? And I believe that sometimes we've only thrown them out there in larger environments where all you did is give your gifts every single time you were in the large environment and you got totally burned out, and I would say, that's not family. That's a production that's using your gifts for their benefit. We need to have families where you can share your gifts, but you're also going to receive from people. Are you getting that? And then when we come together, we can use them. But it's, you're not defined by your gift, but it's part of your makeup. It's part of your DNA. And it's a lot of fun.
And so as I challenge you guys, um, I would just encourage you guys to look at this and just say, you know, which of these environments do you have in your life? Which ones have you neglected? And what's the Lord asking you to, to go into, okay? I know at the sanctuary right now we haven't done a lot of these other things. But we're going to start doing this. <laughs> I'm warning you. <laughs> okay? Because this is limiting. We're not meant to be marginalized. And I would just say this for you guys. If you feel like you're in a spot right now where there's things pent up, I would just say let's pray through that. And I believe that in this next three to six months, there's going to be opportunities to you start taking it. But I would also just warn you guys, don't allow the enemy to hijack it and go back into isolation. Okay? Please don't go into isolation. Okay? I beg you. The church needs what you have. We need it. I need you. You need me. We need each other. We do. And this is the mark of the body of Christ is the Lord will use each one of us and we're going to bless each other and we're going to encourage each other. We're going to build up the body so that the church is made beautiful and radiant and glorious. That the church spreads not just in the 253 but in the regions in Arkansas and Kenya around the world. This is what we're going to do. Okay? And the church is going to be made beautiful and Jesus is returning for his beautiful church. Okay? And the gates of hell will not overcome it. I'm telling you guys, the end game is a beautiful church. He's going to do it. And he's giving us the opportunity to be part of it. So if we can just take our lives and just say, here we go, Lord. We don't know what we're doing. We're going to get attacked. The enemy's going to try to lie to us. And it'll be easy to go into a very comfortable, there's a lot of other large gatherings around town. You can always go back to them. I'm sorry. I'm just... But there's a family dynamic that we're meant to learn how to do, okay? In our culture, we do not know how to do family very well. And in the body of Christ, this is a foreign concept, okay? But I, I want to challenge us. Can we learn this together? It's going to be in our imperfections. 